How many of you guys have uh, ever heard the term, you know, it's kind of Christianese. You guys know what Christianese means? They're, they're, it's Christianese are, are terms that, you know, you hear in church, Christian people use. And when you're new to church, maybe some of them don't make sense. And, and then as you've been around a little bit, a, a while, you start to understand some of the terms and some of the things we say. Like, for example, in baseball, if you're familiar with baseball, um, you know, if, if I said runners on the corners, how many, how many baseball guys know what runners on the corners is? First and third, right? Like, we know what, what the corners are, and um, you've been around baseball a lot, you understand those things. Well, there's a term, a Christian kind of thing that we call the flesh, or getting in the flesh. You guys understand what that means? You've heard that, or is that new to some of you? I might say to somebody, um, hey, you're in the flesh, brother. And if he doesn't know what that means, he'd look and he'd go, oh, I hope I'm in the flesh. What else am I going to be? But if you're a Christian, you, you understand there's a different thing I'm talking about. Or I might say, um, you know, I might get home and tell Lydia, oh, man, I was at the, I was at the gas station today, and this, this guy really fleshed me up. What does that mean? That means he did something to make me mad, and I got in the flesh, and I, and I said something to him. You know, and the, the, the idea that, that God's Word speaks about is that when you're faced with every situation of life, there's two ways you can respond. You can respond in the Spirit, or in other words, you can respond in a way that, that God's Holy Spirit would desire for you to respond. Or you can respond in the flesh, which is the way that God's Holy Spirit would not want you to respond, is the way that your yourself or your flesh or the devil would want you to respond, right? If somebody cuts you off in traffic, how do you respond? Do you tell them they're number one out the window? Or do you softly pray for them in Jesus' name? Obviously, one is in the flesh and one is in the spirit. Well, what's that? Am I popping or something? I didn't even hear it. Oh, all right. Let's put it out front, see if that helps. Sometimes. These things, these things are so tricky. These headsets, I buy new ones about every two, three months, and wires, and any better? Oh, it's a fan. All right. Carl was, Carl is so sweet. He really cares about me, and he wants to make sure that you know, because I'm a fat kid, so I sweat a lot. So he uh, he's trying to take care of me. But all right, yeah, Carl was a fan, huh? Any better? All right, awesome. So First Corinthians chapter three, we're going to get into this concept of three concepts. Now it's taught in other places in the Bible. So if you're taking notes there next to First Corinthians chapter three, I want you to write down Romans chapter seven, and I want you that to be your homework this. Um, this afternoon. So you guys, when you go home and you take, if you're smart and you're, you're a really good Christian, you take a Sunday afternoon nap. Before you do that this afternoon, I want you to read Romans chapter 7, okay? Um, and, and then Paul is dealing with it to the Corinthians, the same concept he's going to deal with, and we'll look at it here in a minute, in Romans 7, in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5. But the idea, again, um, in chapter 2 was about, last week we studied the natural man. So the, the concept is the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal. And I'm going to explain what all three are. This is the section of 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. You guys say it with me. Natural, spiritual, carnal. Okay, the natural man is somebody who's just not a Christian. They haven't been born again or reborn. And so remember the concept last week? Paul tells us last week that the things of the Bible are, you guys remember, they're spiritually what? Discerned. Everybody, they're spiritually discerned. So, so you ha your spirit has to be alive to understand that the Word of God is alive and living. And for you to connect with the Word of God, your spirit has to be alive because dead people don't read so well. Dead men tell no tales. And so the issue of the natural man is 
spirit is, is not alive yet. And so many things they don't understand and can't do in a spiritual realm because they're a natural man. And then the next process is a spiritual man. And in a spiritual man is somebody who's born again in the spirit of Christ. He now has this relationship. And in the, in the analogies that Paul uses here between the, the natural, the spiritual, and the carnal, the spiritual man is where you and I all want to be. Okay? This is somebody who's born again, who's, who's close to God, who's living a, a very fruitful Christian life. And then the third concept is the one we're going to learn about today. We'll, we'll deal with the spiritual one kind of in the middle. We talked about natural last week, carnal today. The carnal one is somebody who's born again. Now listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you can write this down as well, you note takers. Paul is talking to believers in this chapter. And he's basically going to say that they're born again. They're going to heaven. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're carnal. I, 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 always, I love this word carnal it's just because it reminds me of a couple things. Reminds me of like um, old gangster days, you know, and when all my friends were called carnal and not, you know, and then I always think of like my favorite food, carne asada. Who speaks Spanish? Does carne mean beef or meat? Technically it means meat, not cow, meat. Okay, so carne is a Spanish word that means meat. Um, carnal is the same thing. It means flesh in English or it means your, your fleshly person. But this, this carnal, so t- some people have the idea or the concept that the two, the two ideas are contradictory and there can be no such thing as a carnal Christian because those things are opposite. But actually, there can be and there is, and I would assume in this room that, that we have a whole gamut of natural, spiritual, and carnal Christians. And today, what I'm going to hope and, and what I've been praying for you and for me today is that each one of us will look in the mirror and, and through God's Word, don't, don't put it on me, I'm not the, I don't write the, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it, okay? So this is between you and God, but just an honest assessment of where are you in one of these three categories. And again, I, I never intend, because I don't think that guilt, guilt works, and it's not a, it's not a concept that, that we find biblically. God doesn't use guilt to, to get you to grow in Christ. It just doesn't work. You know, I could put a guilt trip on you, and you could feel, oh, yeah, you're right. You know how long guilt works for? I've said this a million times. It works until about the time you get out of your seat, and you push the button on your car to unlock your car. Now you, you forgot about the guilt trip you had while you were sitting in the chair and feeling bad about yourself, because now you're thinking about what? Lunch. And that's about how long guilt motivates people. But what motivates people is the love of God. And so again, this is not intended to guilt you or to, or to shame anybody, but it is intended to be just an honest look at, are we carnal? Are, are, is there some places in our lives where, you know, we can grow? Because there is such a thing as a carnal Christian. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's, let's take a, a look at it. I forgot my glasses. Where did you find my glasses? See? I would take a look at it, but it's all kind of like, no, actually it's not that bad. I could, I could pull it off without my glasses if I had to, but it gets a lot clearer when I put them on. Okay, so chapter 3, is Paul talking to Christians or non-Christians? Christians. He wrote that down. These are carnal Christians. And again, you guys, a lot of these concepts, now Paul is writing a letter specifically to a church that he planted in a city called Las Vegas of Paul's day, the Corinthian church. And, and so he, he's addressing the problems that they were specifically dealing with. Now, it doesn't mean that other churches weren't having these same problems and Paul doesn't deal with them elsewhere because what you find is that when Paul wrote the Romans to the Romans, which wasn't necessarily a church, but it was a letter he wrote back to a group of people, he deals with this in, in Romans. In, in Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews writes, he also, in Hebrews chapter 5, he deals with this same concept of being spiritually carnal or being a babe in Christ. Everybody say a babe in Christ. 
That doesn't mean you're fine or you look good. You ain't like a babe like that. That means you are a baby in Christ. And um, listen, I want to, I mean, I got to clarify before we start. Um, maybe some of you in here are babes in Christ, okay? Maybe some of you guys are, are fine in Christ because you just look good. That's, that's true, too. But being a babe in Christ is not a bad thing, unless, unless what? Unless you've been walking with Jesus for like 45 years. If you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years and you're still requiring only bottles, it's just not cute anymore, Right? And, 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 and again, but if you've been walking with Jesus, you got saved, you were here in church last week, and, and you asked Jesus in your heart, and, you, and that's where you're supposed to be. We don't expect anything more from you. We're so excited to, to walk you through right where you are and bring you along to, to meet. You know, we've, we've had babies, right? And babies can survive on milk and only milk. That's whole, 100% of the diet is just milk for how long? A year? Right? And at some point, then we start introducing some foods. As a Christian, it's necessary that you get that milk and you get to the point where you grow. But, but listen, God's heart for you and I is that we develop an appetite for, Paul says here, for strong meat. Oh, that's the Hebrew term. Strong meat for real meat, for carne asada, for, for some steak. Right? I always share with you guys, and I don't know what it is, but as a father, and, and for those of you that have, those men that have kids, you maybe can identify with this. If you don't have kids, you will one day. But there's this really proud dad moment that you experience with, with boys especially. Um, well, I, I just now have a girlfriend just now experiencing it to know the difference. But with the boys, it was like the first time the boys like ate meat and had a steak. It was like just a proud dad moment. Like, yeah, that's my boy. He's eating steak, you know, like milk and, 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 and cream of wheat and applesauce for so long. And, and then finally he takes that first bite of steak and you're just like, you know, it makes you feel good. So God wants us, again, to move towards this progression of, of growing in Christ. Amen? Amen. But, but again, you know, no matter where you are, you be who you are in Christ, and you, you, you don't, you know, look back on yesterday with shame because God doesn't want you to do that ever. He wants you to look to tomorrow with promise and with hope. Amen? That was good. That's tweetable. Okay, I hope you caught that. He doesn't want you to look back on yesterday with, with regret. He wants you to look to tomorrow with promise and hope that can be a better day in Jesus. Amen? And that's all, that's all your Heavenly Father expects from you. He loves you so much. He wants to see you grow. He doesn't want to see you stagnate. None of you guys want to have teenage children that still drink bottles or, or have pacifiers in their mouths. It's, it's not cute. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. That's sad. Paul, but as to carnal, as to my brothers, as to base in Christ. Again, babes in Christ. We just talked about that. I know some of you guys are thinking you look good. You're babes in Christ. Listen, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. So here he says, solid food, Hebrews 5, same concept, strong meat. And even now, you are still not able to receive it. So Paul is a little bit discouraged. Again, he told the Hebrews the same things. You know, I desired to give you strong meat, and by now you should be eating meat and you're still drinking milk. And, and so again, I would say to you, through the Word of God, as, as you've been walking with Christ for a while, are you still only um, drinking milk and by now you should be eating steak and you should be eating meat? And maybe some of you guys, and probably some of you are like, what does that mean? What is milk? What is steak? What is the difference? You'll figure it out. Just hang on. Um, and then he says in verse number three, for you are still carnal for where, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, 
are you not carnal? And that's a question. And, and so again, when you, when you have um, these things and the things that he identifies, envy, envy leads to strife. Strife always leads to division. And again, in the church, one of the biggest battles that any local church faces, and I don't care, I've been at hundreds of pastors' conferences with hundreds of churches represented, and I've talked to pastors all over the world for the last 20 years, and I guarantee you the number one struggle that pastors have is division in the church. It's people that divide and cause division. It's the biggest struggle and the biggest attack of Satan upon your church, my church, local churches all over the world, all over the United States. And Paul addresses it heavily. He's going to deal with, remember, we talked about this church, and this letter is primarily a corrective letter. He's correcting a lot of behavior, um, 30 chapters to the Corinthians of, of correcting. They were suing each other. They were getting drunk in communion. The one guy was sleeping with his, with his dad's new wife and coming to church and bragging about it. And they didn't rebuke him and they didn't stop him. And problem after problem, they were suing Christians, suing Christians in the public courts instead of dealing it among themselves. They were gifted in the, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they were using them wrong in public assembly. And they were misusing the gifts of the Spirit. So problem after problem after problem that Paul's going to deal with through Corinthians. But the first one, remember, chapter 1, you've got to remember back a couple weeks, the very first issue Paul had to deal with was what? Come on, somebody. Division. Okay, and now here he's dealing with it again. So the mark of carnality is division. You, you don't like something in the church, so you cause division. You don't like something the pastor said or did, so you, you cause division. Envy to strife to division. And Paul says, if these things are happening in your midst, are you not carnal? Look in the mirror. Again, yes, if, if those things are happening, if those are what's in my heart, it's a mark of carnality. And it's not, it's not a browbeat. It's, a, it's an eye-opener. It's a, hey, God loves you. And if these things are present in your heart, in your life, it, it's a mark that, that you're, you're a babe in Christ and, and time to grow and move through these things. It's not God's desire for you or for His church or for the things in His church that, that um, you know, that we're here to be a battleship where everybody has a station where we work and we serve. And if you see a problem, rather than envy and strife and cause division, you jump in and you fix it and you help and you make it better. And you extend the same grace that God's extended to you to the people that are around you in your church and in your children's ministry and in your services and in your coffee shop. And, and, and that together as a family of believers, we have a heart of God to try to make things better, to, to reach more people for Jesus. That's an amen pause. Love you guys. Okay, here we go. So, so Paul says, listen, um, we're verse 3, envy, strife, division among you. Are you not carnal? Now the second example, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal or acting in the flesh? Now what does that mean, I am of Paul or I am of Apollos? Paul went on his first missionary journey with a fellow by the name of Paul and Barnabas. They brought John Mark. John Mark left in the middle of the first missionary journey. They went, began their second missionary journey where they are here, Acts chapter 18. And in the second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas got in a fight over John Mark because Barnabas wanted to bring him. Paul didn't want to bring him. And so Paul said, fine, you take Mark and you go and I'll bring Apollos with me. And so Apollos began to travel with Paul. And Apollos was Paul's um, missionary companion when they, when they planted the church in um, Corinthians. So uh, Apollos was a dynamic uh, presence and speaker. He, he was a handsome guy. He was a good orator. Um, Apollos had many gifts that Paul didn't have. You know, the history tells us that Paul was kind of a weird-looking dude. He was like 
he had like a, I don't know, he just like he just was nerdy looking or, or his, they, the, 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 the history describes him with like a crooked nose and weird eyes that were pussing all the time because he had a disease in his eyes and just not somebody good to look at and, and not necessarily a, an amazing presence as an orator. Now, if you could forget what he looked like and just hear what he was saying, it was the greatest voice that, that God had mind that God had ever created, obviously, and obviously the greatest, one of the greatest writers in, in, in all of human history, the Apostle Paul. But, but Apollos, being this, this handsome guy with, with great oration skills, he, he had his own following. And, he had, and so the people there began to divide, and they began to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Apollos' camp. In others, I'm in Paul's camp, as Paul and Apollos co-labored together to start this church, and they were, you know, two pastors that were there that were, you know, preaching and doing different services and things. And people began to divide in the church under which one they were following, Paul or Apollos. And Paul calls about it. I'm sorry, you guys. You hear me sniffing? And it says, when, when, who then is Paul, verse 5, and who then is Apollos? But ministers, what does the word minister mean? I'm a minister. You guys are all ministers. The word minister means servant. It's a servant. Um, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. So when he gives this rhetorical question, who then is Paul in verse 5, basically the answer is Paul is nobody. Paul, Paul never drew disciples unto himself. And believe me, if anybody in human history had the right to draw disciples unto themselves, it was the Apostle Paul. But even the Apostle Paul was constantly pointing people to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. I'm an index finger that points people to Jesus. All of you guys, as God uses you in your life, to share the gospel, to minister. You're an index pointer to Jesus. As soon as you start to make people feel like, listen, they need you to get access to God, then you're drawing disciples unto yourself, and that's, that's one of the sins of Satan. And that's a problem. That's a problem that the church developed over the years. The church began to realize that if people needed me to get to God, that makes me powerful. And as a pastor, I've watched other beloved brothers personally, firsthand, who, who kind of got this little pride thing and realized that, you know, and began to do ministry in such a way that they were drawing disciples to themselves, and the crash was nasty. And, and so when I left Joshua Springs and I came to Tooele, I, I said to God, one mistake, Lord, please help me not make, is never to draw disciples unto myself. And I've tried to be over the top about the idea that you do not need me to get to Jesus. You have the Word of God on your lap. You have as much access to God as anybody else. And so my job, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, God gave the church pastors for the, for the equipping of the saints to encourage, to teach, to edify, so that you can go out and do what? The work of the ministry is the way God laid it out. So I have a function in the body of Christ, but you don't need me. And as soon as you go out and you hear a sermon and you hear a pastor or you read a book, and at the end of it you feel like, oh man, I, I need to know what this person knows to, to know God, to, to receive revelation, that's a red flag because you don't need that. You have the full revelation of God in your lap. And every one of you, something I preach pound the pulpit about, every one of you has personal responsibility to not be deceived and know the Word of God for yourselves. You're not going to stand before heaven and say, Pastor Chris told me some bunk doctrine and that's why I'm, you know, messed up. God's going to say, well, didn't I tell you to study the Word for yourself and see if these things are true? You have no excuse. I'm going to give account if I'm doing that when I stand before God. But each one of us is, is accountable and responsible to the Word of God for ourselves. And it's, it's a protection for you, right? 
You know, we live in a world of deception, and one of the battles that we face here in Utah is that a lot of people have, have been deceived or feel like they've been deceived, and, and they've been hurt by a church, and they come here, and they're like, you know, this is all foreign to them, first of all, and, and yet they, 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 they don't want to be hurt again. They don't want to be deceived again. And, and so, you know, we, we put these, these protectors out there to say, listen, don't let anybody deceive you. Go to the Word of God for yourself. Yeah, God has designed the function of pastors and teachers and leaders and commentaries and books to equip you and help you and encourage you. But, but you know, don't let yourself be deceived. So then, um, so Paul's saying that I'm nobody. I'm not drawing disciples to myself. I, and then he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Everybody say, God gave the increase. So I planted, Lydia watered, but God gave. So, you know, I'm talking to somebody about Jesus. You know, most people that accept Jesus, not most people, I, I don't know all these stats. I make them up anyway. So, um, Most people, like 72% exactly of people that come to Jesus, um, they came to Jesus because at least nine or more people witnessed to him before they came to Jesus. So, you know, that, that that's a true stat. Like lots of people kind of poured into him a little bit, you know. And um, so we all have a different part. And what part of that? <clears throat> One of the, when I was in Bible college, we had a woman who came to our Bible college, and she taught a class, and she, her personal testimony was she left the LDS church after like 30 years, and, and somebody asked her, what was your decision to leave the LDS church? And she said it was 30 years of talking and conversations with different people, and, and the whole of it together finally hit me after 30 years. And it wasn't one thing that anybody said. It was a lot of different conversations that I had with people that made me start investigating some things that led to the decision that I brought to you today, right? So, so this concept that you and I water, and you never know what part of it is. You're ministering to somebody. You're sharing the gospel. Maybe you're planting the seed for the first time in the ground. Maybe the seed has already been planted, and, and when you share the gospel, you're putting a little bit of water on it. And if that, that, that seed grows up and becomes fruitful, you can't look at it and go, yeah, I, I saved that person. No, Paul's saying, listen, you, you and I don't have that ability, Right? This is the thing I try to tell you guys, too, again, all the time. Like, we don't want to see the move of God be manufactured because we can't do that. It has to be a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit. Our job is to pour some water on you. It's to plant a seed in your heart and pour water on it. Plant a seed in your heart, pour water on it, and then God's Holy Spirit at some point will bring fruit. Amen? And that's what Paul is explaining, that, hey, guys, listen, don't be of Paul or Apostle or, or of Peter. I mean, oh, yeah, or of Cephas or of Apollos, of, of anybody, because I didn't die on a cross for you. I don't have a heaven to bring you to, so, so I have nothing to be proud of. I just get to be a minister, a servant. I get to throw some water on you, and then if God's Spirit cho so chooses, He will bring the increase. Amen? Amen. So then he says um, in verse 7, So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. God who gives the increase is the only one that matters. You know, Paul's really kind of like knocking himself to make a point here. But I could say of this same thing, you know, Paul's saying like, you're nothing. You ain't, you ain't nothing. Ain't nobody got time for that. You, you're like uh, nothing. Like you water, you're nothing. Paul's like, listen, that's not where the credit are due. It's God. You keep doing your work. Paul, Apollo, uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered. God gave the increase. So then neither he, he who plants is anything nor he who waters. But it's God who gives the increase. Verse 8 says, now... He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. So each one receives his own reward. 
You know what's required of a servant? Come on, some of the men. Faithfulness, right? It's required of a servant that he be found faithful. Okay, It's required of a servant that he be found faithful. So what does God require of you if you want more reward in heaven? Does it mean you have to be Billy Graham? You have to be a pastor, a missionary? Can, can, a, can somebody who works as a mailman receive the same, same reward in heaven as Billy Graham? Yes, why? Because it's not based on what God's called you to do. It's based on the faithfulness of which you did it with. That's the biblical concept. So listen, you can sit right where you are and you can be encouraged knowing that whether you, you, know, you, you consider yourself a full-time minister and servant or you, you work as a mechanic. That it doesn't matter because wherever God's called you, maybe he's called you to be a plumber and, and to serve your family and your church and, and to love God. That you, what's required of you is faithfulness. And that's what Paul is saying here is that each one receives his own reward, but not based on the call of God, based on or, or what part of the body you are. You know, every part of our body is important. You don't think your little toe is that important in the big scheme of things? Try dropping a big old rock on it. It'll be important then. You know, parts of your inside, your, you, you know, one of your organs, you don't feel them or know they're there, but I guarantee you that they're, they're not seen, but they're super important. In the body of Christ, every part, whatever part you are, whether you're seen or unseen, is important to the body of Christ. And you're, you're important to that success, and, and it's not based on what part God called you to be. It's based on how faithful you are to that call. Amen? Amen. So then in verse number I got to jam, jam, jam. In verse number 10, he says, yeah, I was trying to decide if I skipped nine. I think I did. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. So there, there is a way, a prescription that God has given for how we build. And again, here in verse number 10, Paul is saying the same thing he's already said. He built the foundation, but you know, the building takes a long time to build, right? Maybe, maybe you're um, in a family and your, your, your dad starts this building project and he lives his whole life and dies. He trains you how to do it. You join the job. You work on the job, live your whole life and die. You have a son. He lives his whole life and dies. And the project is still being built. So Paul lays the foundation and then we continue, each one of us, you and I, to build on it in the kingdom of God as there's these watering, um, uh, planting and watering process. And then he says in verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is, come on somebody. Okay, verse 11, that's our key verse today. That's, that's, our, that's, our, that's our mainstay today. And, and the idea is this, something we say a lot and you just can't overstate it. It's why I have this big sign behind me, okay? Because it's all about, it's all about Jesus. And that's what verse 11 says. It says that, that, that there's no other foundation. Paul already said, look, I didn't come to you guys with flattery of words. I didn't come to you with pomp and circumstance. I didn't come to you with, with blow-up dolls on stage and fog and lights and, and, and pony show. I came to you with the simplicity of the gospel. I came to you with Jesus and him crucified. I came to you with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and here he says the same thing, is that, it, that there's no other foundation for that which is laid because it's all about Jesus. Amen? Listen, let me tell you something about this book that's in your lap. Some people don't like this, but it's the truth. This is not a book of morals. This is not a book of, of do right. This is not a book of self-help. This is not a book of how to have a better marriage or how to be a better parent or how to be a better employee or employer. 
This, this is a book about one thing and one thing only. What is that? This is a book about Jesus. And when you read this book to learn about the life and, 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 and who Jesus was, and, and, and you read this book so that you can live, love, and look like Jesus in your personal life, guess what's going to naturally happen to your life? You're going to become a better parent. You're going to become a better husband. You're going to become a better wife. You're going to become a better Christ follower. You're going to become a better employee and employer. You're going to have better morals. But this book is not a book of right and wrong, of do and don't, of come to it to find out what the Ten Commandments are. And if I follow these and I do this and I don't do that, it's not what it's about. It's not how it works. That's Phariseeism. That, that's, that's, what the, that's legalism. That's carnality. That's, that's the natural man. It's not what the Bible is about. It's not what Christ following. It's not what being a Christian is about. We have a saying here. What is it? Read your Bible and pray every day. Don't think that's lame. You say it with me every time. And you own it. Ready? Read your Bible and pray every day. That's super important. That's life-changing. That's gospel. Because as you read your Bible and pray every day, as you get up and collect manna for your family and for yourself, that, that in that you get to know who Jesus is. And, and when you know Jesus, it, it, it helps you become a better person. It helps you look in that mirror. It does all the things that, that you want it to do in your life. And that's the substance and the purpose. Amen? Okay, it says, I'm almost done. And it says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work will be clear for the day. We'll declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of which sort it is. We're going to try to get through verse like uh, 17, guys, and then we'll, we'll finish the last four next week, but five next week. So this concept, we call it the Bema Seed of Christ. And he said each one's work will be into two categories, wood, hay, and stubble. Or, or precious gems. What happens when you put wood, hay, and stubble into a fire? Okay, they disappear. What happens when you put gold into a fire? It refines. It gets better. It, it gets cleaner. Um, so um, you realize that all the gold since Adam and Eve that has been on planet Earth is still on planet Earth because gold is an indestructible metal. And there's nothing you can do to destroy it. Where Rick works out the gold mines in, um, in Nevada... It's microscopic gold that they're mining that, that's in the earth somewhere, and it comes this little, you know, and eventually they do these chemicals to it, and they purify it, and when it's all done, it's gold bars. They've been doing it in the same mine for 25 years, and they got enough gold there in this style. And some places it's little, but all the gold is still there because gold only gets better in the fire. But this concept is that as, as a Christ follower, everything that you do, one day you're going to stand before God, and you're going to receive a reward. It's called the Bema Seed of Christ. Paul mentions it here, this concept of reward. Okay? I've always envisioned it like an oven. You know, like that everything is just this big oven, has a conveyor belt, and everything that you've done for Jesus over the years, you put on it. And then you just imagine yourself that you're in that game show. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Because you don't know what you put on the thing. It's got to go through the fire first to test it and see if it was wood, hay, or stubble, or precious stones. And then you go to the other side of the conveyor belt that comes through the fire and you stand there and you wait to see what comes out, which is your reward. I heard a pastor say that he used to envision the Bema Seat judgment of Christ as an as a oven too. But he says that the Bible says that Jesus is described with hair of wool and eyes of fire. And maybe it's just enough when you stand before Jesus that the, the fire that judges you is the eyes of Jesus. That's kind of a cool concept, huh? 
the eyes of Jesus does that bema seat judgment and it purifies you and it, and it, and it separates the wood, hay, and stubble and the precious gems as, as you see Jesus for the first time. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so look down at your Bibles again. Um, let me draw your attention to um, verse 12. And it says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Like we just talked about. It's all based on motive too, okay? Sidetrack here, but I'm going to go ahead and do it real quick. It's, it's all based on motive. If you give the church $1,000, there's a reward for that. Or you give God $1,000 through the church, I should say. So you get to heaven and, and you, you know that, that particular deed goes through that fire and you come to the other side and just smoke and ash and nothing comes out. You're like, I gave $1,000. Yeah, but you, you made sure everybody knew you gave that $1,000 and you did it with a heart that wasn't pure. And, and somebody who saw you give it to it said, wow, you're very generous. And you're like, I know. You got your reward. Or you, 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 know, you quietly waited till the sanctuary emptied out and well, nobody saw you, you dropped it in the love offering box because you just wanted to, to honor the Lord. Now you stand on the other side and a same $1,000 gift, but instead of ashes coming out, it's a gem. And, and the reason is because God based that on what? On the motive of your heart. So everything is motive. Everything is motive, 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 motive. It comes down to why you did what you did. You did it with the right heart. You did it with the right purpose. And that's the way that God judges you. That's why the woman, when Jesus was watching the offering in church that Sunday, the woman, or that Saturday, the woman who gave the two pennies, her reward was greater than the guys that gave the thousands of dollars because her motive was pure and theirs was not. Um, in verse 15, if anyone's work, verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Hey, let's have uh, the worship team come on up and close us in our last song. Um, don't put your Bibles away just yet. I want to finish two more verses, but I'm going to invite the worship team up now so that as I finish, they'll be ready to roll. Who's Paul talking to in chapter three, Christians or non-Christians? These are carnal Christians. They're, they're in the flesh, okay? Um, in Galatians, in chapter 5, just stay there. because I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. It says in verse 16, listen, I say to you then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposite, or they fight. They're contrary to one another. So that you do not know the thing, you do not do the things that you wish. Same concept. Why I want you guys to read Romans chapter seven today. Romans chapter seven, by the way, is the doo doo chapter in the Bible. You'll find out if you read it today what that means. Um, it's the doo doo chapter. Things that I do, I don't want to do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The doo doo chapter. So um, here's the concept: If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the things of the flesh. How do you know in here today if you're a carnal Christian or if you're a spiritual Christian? One of, the, one of the ways is, how, what, do you, what do you crave? What is your appetite? You know, oftentimes you can tell somebody by what they eat. You know, and it, do you, are you craving the things of God? Do you find yourself on a regular basis desiring to do and to be in the Word of God, to be in places where God's people are, to be in worship, to, to crave the things of God? You have this appetite for the things of God in your life. Or, or, or is your fleshly appetite for things that are pleasing your flesh? You know, you know the Bible says that Sin is pleasurable. 
If anybody ever tells you, oh, sin ain't fun, that's just not true. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Sin is fun. But what, what the Bible says is that sin is fun for a season, and then you pay for a lifetime. And the contrary to that is that you, you live in discipline for a short time, and you live a reward for a lifetime. And that, you know, it's a concept we've got to teach our kids. It's a tough concept. You know, we, we deny things in your life now so that your future is brighter and broader. Or, or we open the whole world up to you right now, and it narrows your future. Amen? And so it's narrow now to keep your future bright. And, and, and the things that, that Satan tempts us with, and this temptation to, to live in the, in, the, in the flesh and do the things of the flesh makes us carnal Christians. And if you struggle with carnality, or if maybe you just aren't growing the way you should be growing, this is an encouragement to you to, to begin to seek the things of the Lord and just make an honest assessment. Because carnal Christians are present here in this room. It's just just the reality of having this many people in a room, right? And we already have spiritual and natural, a whole mix. But God calls us to grow in Him. And I'm encouraging us to be honest with, with where we are in our walk and desire. And how do you do it? Ephesians 5.16. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. You don't focus on the sin. You don't focus on the problem. You focus on Jesus. And as you walk in the Spirit, and every day you get up and you collect manna and you desire more of Jesus in your life today. More of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. You know, people ask me all the time, Pastor Chris, how did, I was fully addicted to drugs. One of the good reasons why you shouldn't trust what I say is to go check it for yourself. And people say, how did you get off drugs? And to be honest, I, I don't even really know how to answer. I used to have this terrible answer. I used to say, Jesus. Because it was true, but it was like not helpful. It didn't help anybody. But it was really true, and I didn't know how to think. But, you know, really, honestly, I didn't have, I just, I began to seek the things of God, and I, and, and I stopped desiring other things, and pretty soon it was like six months, and I was like, I haven't been high like in six months. I forgot. Like, I didn't even think about it. You know, just more Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the things of the flesh. Amen? All right. We are uh, going to be done in two seconds. If anyone desires, verse 17, the temple of God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Last verse. So here this concept is that um, when we get to chapter 6, everybody probably familiar with the verse that says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, here Paul talks about a different concept, very similar, but he says, listen, congregationally, that our, our, our congregation is also a temple of the Holy Spirit and that we should keep it holy. Amen? Let's stand together. Easter services are always a little bit longer, so you guys did good. I'm proud of you guys. Hey, listen, at this point in the service, as we sing this last song, it's our heart's desire that God's Holy Spirit would begin to move in your hearts and lives. It's our heart's desire that you would allow God's Holy Spirit to bring conviction, to bring healing, to bring repentance, to bring victory, for you to make a public confession of faith if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you're still a natural man and you need to become born again, now is the time to do it. If you're born again and you're a carnal Christian and struggling with some things in carnality and you want to move to being a spiritual believer and a spiritual Christian, now is the time to, to do that and to seek the Lord for those things. We have the, the staff and pastors up front to pray for you guys. And the Lord can do the work whether you come up for prayer or not. And we always encourage you guys to come up and receive prayer. But as we sing this last song, we, we give you this opportunity to, to, to just grow in Jesus and take it. Don't take off right away. Don't be in a hurry to, to jam out of here. It's three more minutes. Three more minutes to let God's Holy Spirit work in your heart and life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. God, we praise you so much. And Lord, this, 
particular chapter is written to believers. And so, Lord, to the believers we're speaking today, that, that they were carnal, and Paul is encouraging them that it, it's no longer time to just desire only milk. And milk is good. Milk is always good. But you've been walking with the Lord 30 years or five minutes. We all still drink milk. But, but, but it's also time to eat some meat. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us in here today that we get out that mirror of life and we've, of, of God, of spirituality, and we look in the mirror and just do self-assessment, not through guilt, just through honesty, that you're calling us to walk closer with you. And if, Jesus, we have room to grow, and we all do, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would begin to encourage us right now as we pray. This song that we sing is, is about receiving a victory. And so, Lord, I pray that this song could be our prayer, that we would receive a victory. And, Jesus, I pray that as each person in this room right now takes the next two minutes to sing this song, to hear from you, to receive from you, that your Holy Spirit would move among this room and change hearts and lives. And Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.